I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. We're here. We made it. We made it. Happy (laughs) Indigenous Peoples Day. Yes. uh, Coming out close to them. Um, I have some follow-up news uh, for something that we talked about in our last episode, and that was uh, Jelani Day. Um, They did find him um, or report finding his body the day after we recorded. Um, But in a a uh, a bit of of a cab fuckery they had actually found his body on september 4th and didn't announce it until september 24th um i don't know if they just really enjoyed having to see his mother cry on television news or or what is going on uh down there in bloomington um but that's some fuck shit uh, so I'm keeping an eye on the story um, because clearly sh- shenanigans are afoot. Right. Um, and with stories like these guys, especially when you're dealing with people of color, the authorities want people to forget. They want people yeah. to stop paying attention. Don't um, keep your eye on the ball when it comes to these kinds of stories. And um, please don't forget, you know, Yeah, for sure that something happened to these kids um for sure so yeah um i think the only other news we have oh hey not major news please come to my crime tour that is major news oh my god because i think this um this episode will obviously come out before that our next episode will too but my true crime tour at elmwood cemetery in memphis is halloween weekend the 30th and 31st the 30th is already sold out so please get your tickets for the 31st i will give you a treat if you show up literally i (laughs) should not have said the word treat in front of my cat um (laughs) anyway um the other only other bit of news i have is i'm sure we've all seen the news about the zodiac killer i don't believe it uh show me the receipt yes well and if he died in 2018 who's been playing ted cruz this whole time (laughs) bingo um so um the internet is never letting that joke go sorry Raphael. (laughs) you're the zodiac Um, (laughs) so yeah um yeah and 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 as we said earlier it is indigenous people's day so we are covering indigenous people um and luhu i believe will be kicking us off yes um i am going to start this by apologizing in advance for um if i butcher any of these names Uh, I listened to recordings and I tried to type them phonetically so I wouldn't (laughs) screw up, but smart. um, I am Southern and I tend to enunciate more than uh, most people do. So (laughs) yeah, I'm going to give it my best shot. We have accents. Be gentle. (laughs) Yes. yes. (laughs) You should hear me try to speak Italian. It's ridiculous. (laughs) Um, So as we said, Indigenous Peoples Day. We are celebrating those who came before us and the lives they led. Um, and I'm going to bring the party down early with <laughs> this story. <laughs> yes. So hold on to your titties. <laughs> Today, I'm going to share the tragic story of Zinkala or Zinka Nuni, 
The Lost Bird of Wounded Knee. So I'm going to start with a little history lesson about this, you know, so-called Battle of Wounded Knee. Spoiler alert, ladies, it wasn't a fucking battle. It was a brutal massacre of up to nearly 300 Lakota people who were just minding their own damn business. Um, On December 29th, 1890, the U.S. Army's 7th Cavalry surrounded a group of Lakota natives led by Lakota Sioux Chief Bigfoot. According to U.S. military reports, which I take with a very small grain of salt, they were attempting to disarm the people because Mm -hmm. the military thought that they were members of a ghost dance movement, which uh, from what I've read, um, Bigfoot was a believer in the ghost dance um, faith. uh, And the military viewed that as some kind of terroristic ideology. They were absolutely against it. Um, And here's another spoiler for you. It wasn't. Uh, Ghost Dance was a spiritual movement founded by the Northern Paiute spiritual leader, Wavoka, to reunite practitioners with their ancestors and bring an end to westward expansion, which would then bring peace and harmony to the native people, yeah, real terroristic threat. I could see was. why the U.S. government considered that terrorism. Right. right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so this group of Native Americans were believed to be a threat, so the military <sighs> decided to take their weapons. Somehow, during the seize of the weapons, fire broke out, and they killed anywhere from 150 to 300 Native American men, women, and children. Yeah, because you know them toddlers were packing. Right. And how can you do that? And I think they lost about 30 men total. Wow. Jesus. Um, And so many of these natives survived the gunfire, but there was a blizzard coming. Oh, God. If they didn't die from being shot, they would die in the next four days after freezing to death from the blizzard. Right. And now to how Lost Bird was found. It's There's many different stories that tell you, oh, this person found her or this person. But in general, they were go- the, the military was there four days after surveying their massacre, carnage, whatever. Someone heard what sounded like a deer. And as they investigated, they found an infant, a Lakota infant, who was frostbitten on her head and feet. And she was found under the frozen body of her dead mother. Somehow this little baby that was probably about four months old survived for four days protected by the body of her mother. Oh my God. Um, Over the next few days, she would be stolen several times from the surviving members of her tribe. Jesus. Because yeah, let's not give her back to the people she comes from. Uh, She fell into the hands of Brigadier General Leonard Wright Colby, uh, and he decided to adopt this infant as, and this is a quote from him, she was his relic of the Sioux War of 1891 and the Massacre of Wounded Knee. Oh, God. Fuck this man. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into him later. This fucking toolbox took this trophy didn't even bother to check with his wife who <laughs> here's the baby was pretty honey. awesome she's yeah. off she's off giving lectures and she uh finds out through like a telegram that oh you're the mother of a native american baby 
and uh, he christened the baby Marguerite Elizabeth. He took her uh, to his home in Beatrice, or Beatrice, sorry, Nebraska, and he promptly ignored her and left her in the care of his wife. If there wasn't a photo op, he didn't need the baby. And that's essentially what he used her for. Photo op, good PR publicity, and okay, here you go, Clara, this is your child now. Fucking Um, Nebraska. Yeah. Now, Clara Colby was a pretty badass woman in her own right. She was born in England in 1846, immigrated to the United States when she was 19. She became a well-known lecturer, newspaper publisher, and correspondent, women's right activist, and suffragette. So why did she marry this? I know. I I have no idea. It doesn't end well for her. Honey, Um, the dick couldn't have been that bomb. Yeah, I I have no idea. Um, So shortly after her air quotes adoption, Leonard Colby was named the assistant attorney general of the United States. So he packed up the family and moved to Washington, D.C. While they were in D.C., Leonard began having an affair with Lost Bird's nanny, Maude Mueller. Ugh, Maud. Hey, Gavin Rossdale. Yeah. Uh-huh. Maud became pregnant. Of course. And Clara planned to help Maud through her pregnancy and delivery, thinking that, oh, this poor governess needs help. Right. Clara, honey, do you not Not knowing. Friends? Not knowing. Not knowing. Uh, so the infant was sent to an orphanage. Oh, and Jesus. she caught Maud and Leonard in bed together. Oh, God. Clara. So, Yes, bless her heart. This couple had been married for more than 20 years. Oh my God. Yeah. They divorced and Leonard moved back to Nebraska with Maud in tow. You know, I hope there's an afterlife so I can find Leonard and kick him in the balls. <laughs> well, and yes. the thing is, okay, I, fa- I saw something that also said that he didn't even marry Maud until she um, inherited like $250,000. Oh my God. Like that. So he married her after she inherited a bunch of money. Man, wow. fuck Leonard. <laughs> fuck Leonard, Leonard. Oh, it gets worse. Leonard is a bitch. Um, so Lost Bird always felt a calling to her culture. She struggled to her. fit in with children at her school. Imagine. And on several occasions, she was actually punished because she was caught playing with African-American children. Oh God, in because the world. she was she was, you know, from a high society family and it was frowned upon to interact with um, dark skinned children. But for oh, her, God. they looked more like her than exactly. the people she was right. raised with. Right. Um, sh- Hold on. OK, here we go. I'm sorry. I lost my place there for a second. So in the eyes of high society, she was somehow less than human because Oof. she didn't really fit in anywhere she was the subject to racism and intolerance from both her classmates and her mother's fellow leaders in the suffrage movement um, yeah there's some mm-hmm. issues with the suffrage there's so movement. yeah no there so, is there is shocker problems many, within white feminism oh, <laughs> you've heard of that absolutely so many anyway. leaders in that movement actually felt that having a native child distracted her from her duties as a suffragette Oh, Jesus. Okay. So, and Clara loved this baby. Um, I didn't mention this earlier, but um, when when she got home and and met the baby, she's like, we're going to call her Zinka. We're not calling her Marguerite. So she kept the baby's name that had actually been given her by the tribe um, before she was kidnapped and given Mm -hmm. to the general. So that she was given that name by her people um, before she was taken. 
So um, Clara was trying to do her best. So she thought it would be good to send um, Lost Bird to visit with family in Wisconsin. Didn't work out. She was met with racism and ridicule by her family and was raped in the process. Oi. Yeah. Uh, when she returned home to D.C., Clara decided to just pack them up and move to Oregon. Uh, so that's what they did. They moved to Portland. Lost Bird struggled in Portland. She would often run away or be kicked out of the boarding schools because they weren't able to pay the tuition because uh, Daddy-O wasn't paying child support or mm. anything like that. And there's little money being a suffragette. So, you know, she was kind of screwed when it came to that. Um, at one point when she was 16, she ran away to South Dakota. She found work in a Wild West show and saved her money so she could go to the Standing Rock Reservation and try to learn more about her culture and find her family. Good for her. They shunned her. Oh. In, in their eyes, she did not behave like a Native woman should. Aww. She looked like one of them, but her behavior and mannerisms were too European for her to truly belong. Oh. She wasn't demure and submissive, which was kind of what was expected of, of Native American women at the time. And she was very forthcoming and, and had a presence about her that Aww. they so just she had a personality and an right, attitude. She, and, yeah. And they didn't they didn't like it. And I don't say that in a bad way. I'm just saying she no, was a human being. She, yeah, she had right. strong, yeah, she had strong feelings and she couldn't fit in anywhere. Mm. Um, she eventually did return to Portland, but her mom promptly shipped her off to live with that old bastard Lenny in Nebraska. Why? And well, because she felt like she was out of control and there was nothing she could do for her. So Ugh. she's like, go live with your dad. He's making bukus of money. Maybe he can help you. He ain't giving well, it to yeah. us. Maybe yeah. he'll help. Yeah. So this, you know, historians are on either. There's kind of two sides to what happens next. Um, after she moved to Nebraska with her father and nanny slash stepmom, uh, Lost Bird became pregnant. Oh, we don't technically know who fathered that child, but uh oh, several historians believe that uh, Leonard oh was the father of his grandchild. I guess. Oh, um, how old is she by this point? She, I believe, was seventeen. Oh, she was very, very young. Right. Um. So, what does he do? He ships her to the Milford Industrial Home for Pregnant Women. the prison-like home for young pregnant women oh yeah Um, the conditions were atrocious and it is alleged that her child was stillborn Uh um she was forced to spend a year in this home and once she was released she went back to portland and met and became engaged to a friend of her mother's named albert shalivat in 1909 Okay. Uh, they had to go to Washington to get married because Oregon did not allow interracial marriage between whites and Native Americans at the time. Because Oregon was founded on white supremacy. Yes. However, shortly after their marriage, Lost Bird contracted syphilis, which her husband oh, had failed to mention he suffered from. Of course he did. The men in this baby's I'm, life. Oh my I'm god! So tired of everyone failing her. They like. are all trash. They were <sighs> quickly separated, 
and the disease, which there was no treatment for at the time, would ravage Lost Bird for the remainder of her life. She was already sickly. She had been a sickly child because uh, her immune system was not accustomed to the disease of white men. And right. she was in Washington, D.C. So, of course, she was going to be a sickly child. Washington, D.C. or Washington State? Washington, D.C. is where she was as a child. Washington oh, okay. State is where she had to get married because uh, Port or Oregon okay. didn't allow it. Gotcha, so gotcha. Okay. They went all the way to the other end of the country. Got it. Um, okay. Which back in those days was not a small feat. Not an easy trek yeah. for sure. So she struggled to find work, but she did make her way to Hollywood where she worked as an oh. extra in the silent film industry. Uh, she was treated like garbage. Uh-huh. Um, around this time, she supposedly uh, gave birth to a son, uh, but she was unable to provide for this child. So she gave him away to a Native American woman somewhere in California there's no record of that child or whatever happened to him. He's lost to history Oy. as so many native American babies were oh, yeah. at that time. Yeah. Um, she did marry again. She married a fellow actor named Robert Keith on May 31st, 1913. She married him under her stage name, Princeton Davis, because she never got divorced from Shavalot. Um, okay. So she yeah, back to, then they were real right. fast and loose with mm-hmm. the whole how many times nah you're good <laughs> so robert was extremely abusive and she oh. divor- she divorced him within five months of being good married. good so him. very short-lived and i it's, i didn't see any record that he was the father of this child so okay he may have been it, the baby came right around the time she was married to him so yeah um, all right so she would go on to find work with buffalo bill's wild west show where she met her third husband, who was good to her. His name was oh, Dick good. Allen. Thank God. Yeah. He, for, by everything I saw, he loved her and he he did his best. The um, one named Dick was the one who was yeah. nice to her. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> around this time, Clara Colby, her mother, became very sick with pneumonia and passed away without a penny to her name. Oh, thanks, Lenny. Mm-hmm. Fucking Leonard. Yeah. So shortly after her mother's death, lost lost bird, lost vision in one of her eyes, most likely due to her struggle with syphilis. Ugh. Both she and her husband were very sickly, and they wound up leaving Buffalo Bill's show and moving to San Francisco, where they begged for food and money on the street and tried to earn extra cash as vaudeville performers. Oy vey. At some point during their marriage, lost bird did give birth to a third child, um, all I could find was that the child didn't live long. Um, yeah. When you have syphilis, right. Having babies it, it was is, a sickly, yeah. it was a sickly child. And I don't think it lived very long. Um, again, there's no record of boy what girl happened. name or right, anything like right. that. So eventually they became so sick. They had to move in with Alan's parents. Um, and you know, this is around 1919, 1920. And what happened? Uh, 1920, what, uh, took over the world and wiped out people across America. Yes, you're right. The Spanish flu. Fucking hell, man. Lost Bird contracted this flu during the Spanish flu pandemic of 1919 and passed away on Valentine's Day of that year. She was uh, 29 years old. Oh, my God. God. Bless. She was buried in a pauper's grave in Hanford, California. Completely 
random aside, but Dick Allen, her husband, struggled to find work throughout the rest of his life. And he was found robbed and murdered in California on May 2nd, 1937. Holy shit. He had borrowed his sister's car to go look for jobs. And he had spent the night in the car and he had been shot in the head. So the, the cops assumed that, you know, vagrants attacked him and and stole his money because he had nothing on him when his body was found god Mm. yeah so sad for him there you know just sad for everybody except for that bastard leonard he seems to have had it made Ugh, Uh, leonard so lost bird's short time on this earth was full of sadness rejection and a longing to return to her people which she was never able to accomplish in life However, in 1991, members of the Wounded Knee Survivors Association banded together with um, a social worker whose name I cannot remember, uh, who actually wrote a book about Lost Bird, uh, and they decided they were going to relocate her grave to Wounded Knee. Oh. So they were able to find where she was buried, and um, a man named, we okay? What was that? Okay, sorry, I heard something. Anyway, so a man named Arville Looking Horse, who was the keeper of the sacred calf pipe of the Teton Sioux, gathered her remains and carried her, them to Wounded Knee, where she was reburied during a traditional pipe ceremony and releasing of the spirit ceremony the following Aww. day. I mean, because she was really a victim of the war. She was. Or, you know. Or the Yeah, she was. Her mother was buried in a mass grave there. So. Yeah. Um, she's not where all the others were buried. She's like right next to them. Right. So she's back to her homeland with her mother. In no way. Right. Um, her tragic story led one native woman, Marie, not help him. <laughs> I love it. I love her name to found the lost bird society, an organization that sought to reconnect stolen native American children with their tribes and culture. The group raised money to provide a monument for Lost Bird in the cemetery at Wounded Knee. It's simple, uh, and it's it reads, Lost Bird, born May 1890, died February 1919. Mm. Um, so from what information I could find, Mary Not Help Him's society, or excuse me, Marie Not Help Him's society did great work in reuniting families with lost relatives, but it seems the group doesn't exist anymore. Um, okay. She passed away in 2014, um, and there's no website or anything online for this organization. Uh, so unfortunately, I think it has passed on. Um, however, the Wounded Knee Survivors Association is still around and has a Facebook page I browsed it, and unfortunately, it looks like there's just one guy and his wife no. struggling to run it, and they they schedule meetings, and nobody bothers to show up, and they're just, you know, trying to keep uh, the memory of that event alive, and it's just, they don't have the participation. Y'all go show them some love. I know. Well, so, <sighs> and so they, that they don't have a website. They have a Facebook page. Right. And there was another organization, the National Historic Site of Wounded Knee, that was founded by a Lakota journalist named Tim Giago. Um, he was working to raise the $3.9 million asking price for the 40 acres of land that was the site of the massacre. Yes. However, it doesn't look like that website has been updated since 2016, and their Facebook page is pretty dormant, too. He is still alive. 
His Wikipedia page does not mention anything about this nonprofit organization, and there's no record of how much they raised, but it seems to have gone kaput. Oh, look, if you sell that land for a profit, you deserve whatever curses you. Yes, incur. you should burn in hell. You should donate that <laughs> yeah. land back to the people. I mean, yep. come on. So since I can't direct you to support either one of those groups, I am going to suggest making a donation to the First Nations Development Institute. It's a nonprofit organization whose mission is to strengthen Native American economies to support healthy Native communities. It has a four-star rating with Charity Navigator, uh, which is a very trusted source if you're looking uh, to see how legit um, nonprofits are. Most, uh, the board of directors is completely comprised of Native American people. um, And you can learn more about that organization by visiting firstnations.org. Oh, very good. That's it. I'm done. (laughs) <laughs> y'all, y'all, so you know yes it, it was it's tragic and sad i mean it, i guess it kind of ended on a good note because she did get returned to her to her family land, right but just yeah. you know nothing good happened to this poor girl in her entire life yeah all she yeah. wanted to do was be with her people right and i like that she is male yes yeah you know? mm-hmm. yeah that oh poor baby yes yeah people are terrible yeah, yeah. We're going to talk in my story. We're going to talk a little bit about why they uh, be stealing Indian babies from their families. Oh, great. Yeah. Have fun with that, guys. We're going to have a good time. Let's get into it, Hannah. Speaking of a good time. (laughs) um, So we all know the missing white woman phenomenon. It's nothing new from Natalie Holloway to Lacey Peterson to most recently Gabby Petito. When a conventionally attractive white woman goes missing, the modern day media goes batshit insane. Gone Girl by Jillian Flint skewered this beautifully. And the book was better than the movie and I'll die on this hill. (laughs) But let's tell another story. Helen Betty Osborne was abducted and brutally murdered near the pass in Manitoba, Canada, early in the morning of November 13th, 1971. The high school student, originally from the Norway House Indian Reserve, was 19 years old when she was killed. Several months later, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, we'll get back to them, Mm -hmm. concluded that four young men, Dwayne Archie Johnson, James Robert Paul Houghton, Lee Scott Colgan, and Normand Bernard Manger, all very Canadian those, names. Those are some names right there. Ooh, were involved in the death. These are the facts as suggested by the evidence. While walking along Third Street in the past, Betty Osborne was accosted by four men in a car. Native communities had been complaining to local police that drunken white men would routinely cruise the area for sex, but nothing was ever done. Houghton, who was driving, stopped the car, and Johnston got out, attempting to convince Bet- uh, Helen to go with them to party. Mm-hmm. She told them that she did not wish to accompany them. She was then forced into their car and driven away. In the car, she was assaulted by Colgan and Johnston as Houghton drove. In spite of her screams and attempts to escape, Osborne was taken to a cabin belonging to Houghton's parents at Clearwater Lake. 
At the cabin, she was pulled from the car and beaten by Johnston while the others stood watching and drinking wine that they had stolen earlier. So these are just fine, upstanding citizens. Osborne continued to struggle and scream, and because her assailants were afraid they might be heard, she was forced back into the car and driven further from town to a pump house next to the lake. At least some of her clothing remained in the car. At the pump house, she was once more taken from the car by one or more of her assailants, and the beating continued. Her clothes, those which had not been removed earlier, were taken from her. Wearing only her winter boots, she was viciously beaten and stabbed, apparently with a screwdriver, more than 50 times. God. Her face. Yep. Her face was beaten beyond recognition. Evidence suggests that two people dragged her body into the bush. Her clothes were hidden. The four men then left, returned to the pass, and went to their separate ways. It wasn't until 1987, in December, more than 16 years later, that one of them, Dwayne Johnston, was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment for the murder of Betty Osborne. James Houghton was acquitted. Lee Colgan, having received immunity from prosecution and returned for testifying against Houston and Johnston, went free. Norman Manger was never charged. What? Jesus Christ. For Native communities across North America, women and girls are murdered or disappear at rates that far outpace Native populations. And yet... It's only been recently that the issue has garnered mainstream attention. In Canada, for example, a recent study conducted by some nonprofit groups concluded that there had been about 4,000 missing or murdered Indigenous women and girls in the country since 1980. Now, 4,000 doesn't sound like a lot to us Americans because that's a year for us. But for Canada with a relatively low crime rate, that's a fucking lot. Yeah, yeah. The, well, especially one group of people, like exactly, specific- right. exactly, yeah. And then, but then the RCMP, who I told we talked mm, about, yeah, did a similar report and said, uh, it was maybe a little more than a thousand in that same time period. Hmm. Who are you gonna believe? <laughs> So young babies during the uh, 2004 election cycle, um, George W. Bush had the phrase fuzzy math. <laughs> this is fuzzy math. In the U.S., a starker picture emerges because, of course, it does. In 2006, the National Crime Information Center reported 5,712 Native women were reported missing that year. In one year? In one year. Oh, my God. Now, Canada had at least 4,000 since 1980. We have almost 6,000 in one year. America, (laughs) fuck yeah. (laughs) However, only 119 of those were listed in the Name Us database by the Department of Justice. Oh, wow. If you like to do fractions in your head, it's not a very big one. (laughs) And even with activist groups, and finally, the U.S. Department of the Interior, led for the first time by a Native woman, putting energy and funding toward the problem, the data itself isn't complete. 
as evidenced by the 119 that were listed by the DOJ. So think about that the next time you try to evade accusations of racism by mentioning your 168th Cherokee. Mm-hmm. I see you. I, your grandmother wasn't a Cherokee princess. Let it go. Thank you. Don't argue with me. Argue with your mama. <sighs> and since white people love numbers, here are some to chew over. Indigenous women and girls are murdered 10 times more than all other ethnicities. Murder is the third leasing cause of death for Indigenous women, according to the Mm. Centers for Disease Control. Four out of five, a little more than 84% of Indigenous women have experienced violence. More than half, Mm. 56% of Indigenous women have experienced sexual violence. More than half, 55.5%, have been physically abused by their intimate partners. Nearly half, 48.8%, have been stopped in their lifetime. Indigenous women are 1.7 times more likely than Anglo-American women to experience violence. Indigenous women are two times more likely to be raped than Anglo-American white women. Murder rate of Indigenous women is three times higher than Anglo-American white women. Mm. What in the actual fuck is going on here? Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, behind door number one, white supremacy. Yep. White supremacy was the driving force behind European colonization of North America. And once again, don't argue with me, argue with your mama. And supremacy movements always land in the same place. Genocide. Genocide is a big, scary word, but it's more than just rounding up minorities and eventually murdering them. You take away your babies like they did Lost Bird, like they did Mm -hmm. the residential schools. Mm -hmm. You take away their language. It was illegal for the longest time for Hawaiians to speak Hawaiian. Right. Their culture. Surfing was illegal for Hawaiians for a long time, as well as other indigenous cultural practices across the country again their practices or you usurp their practices like using white sage and things like that you take their land and property you take away their basic humanity that's how a genocide works we make a mockery of their traditions we portray them in in a negative light in the media if we allow them to betray be portrayed Mm -hmm. at all And we stand silent while their women and young girls are wiped off the face of the earth. Yep. In the U.S., there are tangible benefits for the government for the natives to disappear. In many cases, the treaties with native tribes are only valid so long as members of the tribe are alive to enforce it. No more verifiable members of the tribe, no more treaty. And the government and private interests are free to do what they will with the tribe's lands, monuments, and other property. So why native women? Well, Native tribes have very limited abilities to prosecute non-Natives for crimes committed against tribal members, especially those committed off of tribal territories or lands, thanks in part to a 1978 Supreme Court decision, Oliphant versus Guamish Indian tribe. These cases are under the jurisdiction of federal authorities, and a 2010 Government Accountability Office report found that federal prosecutors declined to take up at least two thirds of these cases. Oh my God. They just refuse to prosecute. (gasps) 
Native victims of crime also face a lack of housing, health care, and other social services they need both before and after becoming victim of crime. In the U.S. and Canada, here are just some of the missing or murdered Native women who are needing justice. Tina Michelle Fontaine, 15, First Nations, murdered and found in the Red River in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Her death led to a call for renewed attention to First Nations victims in Canada. Kimberly Iron, 21. She was Crow. She's missing from Billings, Montana. Selena Not Afraid, 16, was Crow in Dakota. She was found dead under mysterious circumstances after going missing from a rest stop between Billings and Hardin, Montana. God, stay the fuck out of Montana, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Faith Lindsay, 17. Um, I don't have her tribe, so... Some of these I have the tribe, some of them I don't. Um, Faith Lindsay, 17, missing and presumed murdered by her boyfriend in Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. Sabrina Rosette, 33, murdered at Tilaswak, also known as Tusi Reserve, First Nation near Williams Lake, British Columbia. Cecilia Barber Fenona, 59, missing and presumed murdered from Farmington, New Mexico. Jermaine Liz Marigot, 23, missing from Missoula, Montana. Khadijah Britton, 23, around Valley Indian, missing from Covella, California. Olivia Lone Bear, 32, found dead in her submerged truck in a lake on the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation in western North Dakota. Ashley Loring Heavy Runner, 20, Blackfoot, disappeared from the Blackfoot Reservation in Montana. Our neighbors to the north have many monuments to these Native women and many municipal areas, including statues and other public arts celebrating the beauty of Native, Native women. The Saginaw Chippewa Indian Tribe of Michigan launched an exhibit dedicated to the missing and murdered. This exhibit featured original arts, art and portraits of Native women with that familiar black or red handprint over their mouths. You've seen that at... Mm-hmm. Um, native rights marches and things like that the Mm -hmm. handprint paint over the mouth it's extremely powerful visual the best possible memorial however so yes there's no grave if you're going to get pedantic with me as i say fight with your mama or fuck around and find out (laughs) the best memorial however will be an end to this genocide against native women yep Yeah. Support tribal organizations in your area. Check out the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center at www.niwrc.org and the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women at www.csvanw.org and take every opportunity to protect all of our sisters. Make sure your girlfriends get home safe. Offer to keep an eye on drinks at the bar. If you come upon a situation that gives you a bad vibe, ask the woman or girl if she feels safe. Be a safe space and a vocal advocate for all of our sisters and non-binary friends. Yep. Wow. Good job, Hannah. Yeah. I told y'all before I was astride my soapbox today. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but that's a damn good soapbox to be on because. But yeah, I mean that is. I mean. Those We've all heard are horrific. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. I mean, yeah. it's one thing to be like, 
you know, and you'll have people who will probably pull, well, you know, it's a small group of them. That's why they use a rate, asshole. That's how math works. Yeah. I was a journalism major and I know that shit. <laughs> well, it's just, it's so crazy that they're, they're disappearing at such an exponentially high rate. I mean, they're already a small group to begin with, because Absolutely. if the genocide and the disease didn't wipe them out, they were stolen and raised in white families and, you know, their culture yeah. disappeared. So, you know, there's what's happening to all of these women. Where are they going? I mean, see, exactly. six, almost 6,000 in a year. Right something needs to be done about that number there exactly yeah. i mean and that's the thing is like we're not doing wounded knee anymore but we're doing a slow genocide mm-hmm. you know yeah. um the you know the residential schools where oh, it God, was yeah you know uh kill the indian save the man you know i mean that was that's the whole point is just to kill out their culture all together yep. and then if you can't kill their culture kill them and bury them underneath the school exactly yeah. and yeah we'll talk about mother baby homes one day too because mm-hmm. oh lord that was some shit too mm-hmm. yeah all right so well. come on sheena <laughs> <laughs> um you know i uh was looking at all kinds of different women to cover because i wanted to cover a woman and i wanted to cover someone more recent but i kept hearing about this woman and i heard at one point someone called her a priestess or a psychic or something i forget the exact word they used and of course i was like okay bingo that's her (laughs) bingo bingo and the more i read about her the more i was interested in her she's from tennessee which i wanted someone nearby um, and it's funny because as I was researching her, I kept seeing, I think a lot of white people saying, oh, she was a friend to the white people. And I'm like, she manipulated y'all. So <laughs> her people didn't get killed. Good for her. Good I mean, for I don't her. know that manipulated is the right word because in some cases she, she saved their lives, but she didn't do it for them. She did it to save her people either way either way i'll tell the story i'll tell the story so (laughs) tell the story sheena um so yeah so she is a woman from tennessee her cherokee name means one who goes about and this is the story of a woman who negotiated for the safety of her people and her land it is also the story of butter and cheese two of my favorite items (laughs) uh yeah go on (laughs) so picture it 1738 yikes the cherokee capital choda which means city of refuge is uh which is now in southeast tennessee in monroe county uh that is southwest of knoxville it's kind of north of atlanta if you are imagining georgia and tennessee it's look at a map (laughs) (laughs) uh Nanya he is born her mother was a member of the wolf clan the largest Cherokee clan her uncle was chief at which he was uh very loved and renowned he was no Catula's dad you remember no Catula from Tennessee I yes. do yes well gee whiz their family <laughs> has some stories yes um her father was a member of the Lenape uh, tribe from Delaware um, 
And so that's all I know about him. It was her mother's side of the family was sort of more of a big deal. Um, in her teens, uh, Nanyahi married, uh, and I hope I'm saying this right, y'all. I Googled all the pronunciations, uh, Sula or Kingfisher, who was a member of the Deer Clan. And they had two children together, Catherine Katie or Kati Walker and little fellow uh, Five Killer. Um, oh. By the name he w- by by the time uh, Nanyahi was seventeen, I think he pretty well went by Five Killer pretty wow. often, which is a great name. It makes yeah. a, that sounds like a mumblecore rapper, and I kind <laughs> of love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, also, around this time, this may be my favorite story about her. Um, again, she's seventeen; she has two children at home, but her husband is called into battle. And so she and her husband traveled to Georgia in 1755 for the Battle of Talawa, which was a part of a larger fight between the Cherokee and the Creek people. Um, I did not know this was a thing, but it apparently is. And it's scary. She chewed her husband's bullets before he loaded his gun, which made them more deadly. Really? Okay. Okay. That's a choice to make. I don't um, kink shame. So. I don't what's, what's, what's the science behind that, though? I just wonder if maybe, because I, I just think the metal must not have been super, super hard. It must have been softer. And if yeah. she's able to sort of put some dents or maybe some like um, harden it up it a, little a little bit yeah, or something, right. maybe that would do more damage. I don't I know. I mean, because that's why the Civil War injuries were so gruesome is yeah. because those bullets, I mean, they were soft and so they did more damage, believe it or yeah. not, because yeah. they just knocked around in you. Yeah. That's I crazy. would think that biting a bullet would literally would not. <laughs> maybe would... that's where the expression came from. No, the ex- okay, I know where the expression okay, came from. What is it? Time out for Hannah's nerdery. And it is Civil War related. <laughs> so this is pre-anesthesia. Um, oh, yeah. And so they would just cut your shit off. So while they were doing that, you would bite down on the bullet to keep from biting your tongue off. So that's See? where bite the bullet oh. comes from. I would think that biting a bullet would not be smart. Well, but we're I talking about know. like soft metal. Kind of, yeah. Maybe not even lead at this point. I don't even know. Right. And compared with biting your own tongue off while you're true, getting your true, legs true. slowly true, true, true. Sawed, sawed off by a man with a fourth grade education, I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> true, 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 true. Okay, so um, she bit her husband's bullets before he loaded them into his gun, which I think is amazing. However, um, her husband, Kingfisher, was killed in battle. So she Mm -hmm. picked up uh, his gun and went into battle and led the Cherokee to victory. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Fearless. Totally fearless. Because of this, the Cherokee awarded her the title of Gigo, or Beloved Woman. They also made her the only female voting member of the Cherokee General Council. Uh, she was named head of the Women's Council of Clan Representatives, which allowed her to become kind of an ambassador and negotiator for her clan. Uh, the Cherokees believed that the Great Spirit, Spirit spoke through the beloved woman, so she was also seen as a type of spiritual leader. In the late 1750s, she married an Irish tr- irish trader named bryant ward 
I've also, I've read that that might've been sort of a business deal to, for the Cherokee and the white folks to get along. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. generally what it was back then. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, I don't know how much, but I do think they must have at least had something for each other. They did have um, a child together, Elizabeth. Oh, well, see, they liked Um, each other enough. Enough to do that. (laughs) This is also where we get uh, Nanya He's um, Americanized name, Nancy Ward. And okay. I'm not going to call her that because that's not her name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's fine. I ain't got nothing against Nancy, but, you know. Um, and then I, I heard a couple of things on how they ended up separating, divorcing, whatever, um, because they did. And in one story I read, he was kind of finally like, peace out. I'm going back to South Carolina to be with my first wife, who oh, he Jesus. had never divorced. Of course well, not. However, I've also read that, and I really like this concept, the Cherokees do not consider marriage a lifelong thing. <laughs> so okay. it was cool with her. And I also read that like he married this other w- woman later. Um, that So he did not leave Nanya he for her um she came up later either way they kept in touch um she took her child with him to go visit him often oh, so that's nice. they seemed to get along I don't I, I don't they know were how. co-parenting <laughs> they were co-parenting in the 1750s which is nice <laughs> um I just wanted to go ahead and mention that because that was you know a part of her life but it's not a huge part I mean it's not a huge in terms of the story um so anyway naturally nanya he is living in this world where all of a sudden all of these white people are just everywhere right and she thinks okay in order to deal with just all of these white people coming into our land we need to cooperate and coexist peacefully we need to negotiate Uh bless your heart honey yeah i think she was doing it out of a a willingness to survive because she knew if they were jerks to them they would just come kill them right so she was trying to kind of do it as a a survival tactic i think right so this is where we get into some politics and stuff Um, so during the french and indian war the cherokee entered into alliance with the british colonists in exchange for protection from the choctaw and the creek who were enemies of the cherokee Okay. Um, and as you can imagine, the Cherokee would um, stand with the British against the settlers because they're like, can you get them out of here? Like, yeah, take, please take them, back to take them with you. <laughs> um, as they were in this alliance, the British built stations and posts in the Cherokee land. Um, but that, however, attracted more settlers and the alliance did not last too long because some settlers killed a group of Cherokee in present day West Virginia. Um, and the Cherokee had just helped the British secure a fort in Pennsylvania. So it's (laughs) like like, the fuck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like this came out of nowhere. Um, so the Cherokee in retaliation killed 20 settlers well there's that um the british and cherokee were now in conflict that lasted two years they said fuck around and find out (laughs) basically (laughs) exactly um and that's the thing is that once you sort of disrespect someone even a little bit it's like okay we're gonna kill you yeah if you start killing my folk for no reason i'm gonna start killing yours and and that's i'm coming for you yeah 
So in her role as beloved woman, Nanya He, or Nancy as the British called her, had an authority to spare captives. In 1776, the Cherokee attacked a settlement in Tennessee and a settler named Lydia Bean, best name ever, uh, had been taken captive. Nanya He negotiated to spare Lydia, who was set to be burned at the stake. Oof, was that? Um, in exchange for safety <laughs> for her village. I'm sorry. The Native <laughs> oh Americans God. were going to burn a woman named Lydia Bean. I just, <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. Oh. But but as I said, Nanya, he um, negotiated to spare her. Like, hey, we'll give you back your captive if you won't burn down our bi- our village. Right. That's like uh, a scene in The Last of the Mohicans where um the british soldier lets himself get taken uh by the tribe and they're burning him alive at the stake and um one of the mohicans mercy kills him basically so that just reminded me of that great movie you should watch it i've never seen it it's amazing it's the only movie my grandmother would watch more than once literally Hmm. interesting yep um However, Nanya, he took Lydia into her home. Um, she tended to her wounds and uh, they became friends. Okay. Lydia taught her a new lo- um, womb. Lo- I can't talk. Loom weaving technique. <laughs> womb leaving. Womb leaving. That's, That's called a- birth, Sheena. <laughs> that is um, a birthday. It is. <laughs> So she taught her about loom weaving and then Nanya, he was able to then teach the women in her tribe about this. So that's helpful. Yeah. Um, but Lydia also had two cows. So oh. she taught Nanya, he how to care for them, how to milk them, how to process the milk into dairy products. And because of this, Nanya, he was the first to introduce the dairy industry to the Cherokee and the first Cherokee t- cattle owner. So this is how we get cheese. Well, <laughs> really? Thank God for Lydia. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, Lydia I, Bean. I'm, I'm yeah. sure she had her first grilled cheese and was like, I am so glad I kept <laughs> Saved you, getting you. Yeah. burned alive. Make, make a little garlic butter grilled yeah. cheese. Right? Yeah. Like, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> we have rugs and grilled cheese. What more do we need? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting because you talk about like changing culture, sharing cultures, all of this. Like, right. sometimes it's not always bad if you get cheese out of it. I guess right. exactly. I mean, um, the best possible outcome. <laughs> listen, I I'll do a lot of things for cheese. So, <laughs> um, so these changes um, in this new loom weaving technique and the dairy products um, really changed the Cherokee, and they actually began to resemble their European settler neighbors. Um. They also resembled them in the fact that they began owning slaves. Oh, no. Um, I read only in one source that Nanya, he did own um, enslaved people, but I didn't see that anywhere else. They could have left it out. I, I don't know. But we always get here somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it's so just, I mean, this whole country was built on slavery. So it's true. And, you know. The Fight Native with American your mama, land. not us. I mean, we we took the land from the uh, Native Americans, and then we made African Americans build the country on it. Uh-huh. So, yeah, 
this goes back to another soapbox I had from earlier of can we stop with the this house is haunted because it's on a Native American burial ground story everything's a Native American burial grounds I think we have Stephen mm-hmm. King to, to blame for that. And I don't want to really um, bash his name. I like him and I like right. his works. Just read a book by him the other day. But I'm tired of that. Gee whiz. Like all of our modern society was built on stolen land. Yeah. And the site of massacres. Like, yeah, it's no wonder we're such shit bags. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, back to this uh, story. Um meanwhile while everything's happening the british because they're into it with the cherokees they keep burning their crops in their towns god damn it y'all so the cherokee continue to give up their land oh meanwhile you know during this whole time frame there's this little thing called the revolutionary war oh that happened (laughs) and again as i said earlier a lot of the cherokees supported the british because they wanted the settlers to go back to britain or just go away um Ananyahi's cousin Cherokee war chief Dragon Canoe sided Ooh. with the British um and the British provided him with weapons is that dragging canoe or dragging dragging okay sorry I'm southern no 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 <laughs> I just was trying to pr- get the right visual in my head can I can I tell one more aside do it there is a um oh god what are they called uh one of those uh companies that they come get you when you've had a wreck um towing companies towing company thank you <laughs> um from my hometown of of Pontotoc, mississippi and they have a 18 wheeler semi truck mm-hmm. painted and it says dragon master and it's a, like a he-man looking dude with a dragon mm-hmm. but it's dragon as in dragon like dragging <laughs> away because they're towing you and ever so often for some reason people call them up here in memphis and so i'm like why is the the dragon master up here you should be in Pontotoc. that's two hours away anyway um however okay so dragging canoe sided with the british nanya he however supported the rebel colonists uh, she hoped that by warning the settlers of upcoming attacks, they would then have no reason to destroy Cherokee t- towns, land, crops, right? Um, so her kind of idea of, look, they're here. Let's try to coexist with them. And that way they will not destroy everything we've built. And maybe right. they'll let us keep our land. Um, she sent cattle to starving colonists because she can do that now because she learned how to uh, be a dairy farmer lady. Um, this plan did not always work, however, because white people are terrible. Um, sometimes they continue to destroy villages and demand more land. Um, there was one point where Nanihi and her family were captured in a battle, but they were eventually freed. Um, Nanyahi, meanwhile, became this sort of de facto ambassador between the Cherokee and the colonists, and she negotiated several peace treaties in the 1870s. Um, in 18, nope, 1781, <laughs> I typed 18 through this entire script. Oh. Okay, in 1781, she was among the Cherokee leaders who met with John Sevier to discuss settlements along Little Pigeon River in Tennessee. She's surprised because there are no women negotiators with the Americans. Meanwhile, he is surprised because the Native Americans have a woman among them. 
so they're both sort of like huh yeah like she's like where are your women and he's like what are you doing here right um she reportedly told him you know that women are always looked upon as nothing but we are your mothers you are our sons our cry is all for peace let it continue this peace must last forever let your women's sons be our sons our sons be yours let your women hear our words she objected to the sale of Cherokee land to white people, but of course they usually ignored her. Um, they were continually pressured um, over the next several decades to move, give up their land, sell their land. Um, some of them thought this was a good idea. Some of the Cherokee thought this was a good idea because it would buy them time to figure out their next steps and work to preserve the Cherokee nation. But over the over these several decades, the pressure just builds and builds and builds. Um, in the early 1800s, the Women's Council spoke out against giving up more, lands, la more land to the United States. In 1817, Nanyahe was too sick to attend a Cherokee Council meeting in which leaders discussed a move, possible move, to west of the Mississippi River. Um, Georgia and the U.S. government had asked them to make that move, and they were discussing whether or not that was possible. Uh, she wrote a letter to the council. This letter was co-signed by 12 other women. Uh, part of the letter read, don't part with any more of our lands, but continue on it and enlarge your farms and cultivate and raise corn and cotton. And we, your mothers and sisters, will make clothing for you. It was our desire to, for to forewarn you not to part with our lands. Um, however, in 1819, the Cherokee gave up their land and she was forced to move south with other Cherokee. Um, in her last years, Nanyahe repeatedly had a vision showing, quote, great line, a great line of people. Let me start that over. <laughs> in her last years, Nanyahe reportedly had uh, multiple visions uh, showing, quote, a great line of our people marching on foot, mothers with babies in their arms, fathers and with small children on their back, grandmothers and grandfathers with large bundles on their backs. They were marching west with the white soldiers, and the white soldiers were behind them. They left a trail of corpses, the weak, and the sick who could not survive the journey. Mm. And naturally, um, I'm sure if you know your American history, this sounds an awful lot like the Trail of Tears. Yeah. So a lot of people think uh, that Nanyahi actually kind of predicted it, basically. Mm. Um, Fuck and Andrew Jackson. In, yeah. Listen, um, I don't <laughs> know if y'all are fan, fans of uh, Bailey Sarian, but her new podcast, she has a two-parter on Andrew Jackson and an episode on the Trail of Tears. I love Bailey because she's funny, but she, you know, tells you this mm -hmm. crazy right. history. Um, but I never knew just how bad Andrew Jackson was and it, it's so bad he was the trump of his day like that's why trump had his portrait in the oval office that's exactly it because they were one in the same when god <sighs> made one he made the other i mean god. they're trash mm -hmm. um so yeah so i highly recommend listening to those bailey sarian episodes um of her podcast dark history um because yeah it, it they're, they're really good episodes. They go into a lot of detail on the Trail of Tears. Um, if you do not know much about the Trail of Tears, I will very simply say it is the forced displacements 
of about 60,000 Native Americans that lasted between 1830 and 1850, which Nanyahi did not live to see. She had um, passes away in the 1820s. So this is, you know, a good 10, 20 years before Bless it actually her heart. happened. Um, but she sort of predicted it, basically. Um, and more than 4,000 Cherokee did die um, on the Trail of Tears. Mm. So later in life, uh, she opened an inn at Woman Killer Ford. Yeah. Which I want to say is okay. a great name, but I know it's not. But uh, I, No, it's, uh, it's a very Nick Cave-esque. <laughs> it is, it is. Um, on the Okoe River. Um, and then she died in 1822 or 1824. She was around the age of 84. Her hmm. son, five killer. Bad for the 1800s. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, she and her son, five killer, um, who cared for her in her later years, are buried at the top of a hill not far from the site of the inn, south of Benton, Tennessee. And there are several monuments that have been erected in her honor there. Um, I really liked that five killers monument it's one of those white ones that you see for like veterans but it says five killer like that i love it and i'm like that's such a cool name yes um some people say that uh nanihi was the last woman to hold the title of beloved woman within the cherokee but they have honored many people or many other women since then with that title it's a very prestigious title um, and ultimately, a lot of people remember her as a pioneer for women in politics. Um, my last two notes here, uh, there was a statue of her carved by James Abraham Walker in 1906. It was sold in 1912. It stood in Granger County, uh, Tennessee, in a cemetery there for about 70 years. But then it was stolen in the 1980s. What the shit? Fuck. <laughs> hate it when someone messes with cemeteries so the east tennessee historical society is still looking for that statue if you happen to see a statue of a native american woman and you think hey that's not supposed to be there right tell somebody if you see something say something y'all exactly um and i too was looking up some um organizations that help native women the one that stood out to me the most was, and you mentioned this, Hannah, the Coalition to Stop Violence yep. Against Native Women, because um, domestic violence is um, a cause that I'm very um, passionate about in, in, in stopping it, not about it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we know what um, you mean. Yeah, it is national. Sheeta uh, loves her some domestic violence, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd love to stop it. I would love to do very violent things to abusers. Um, it, when, sometimes I imagine um, doing violence toward <laughs> abusers and I won't lie. It makes me happy. Yeah. Um, October is National uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. It is. Um, so please support your local shelters if you can. Um, I also recommend if you're on the Facebook and she might be on other platforms, I haven't checked relentless indigenous woman on Facebook. I mm -hmm. love her page. She is posting multiple times a day, really wonderful stuff about native women and causes that are important to them that should be important to all of us because we are all in this together. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So I think we can't care about american history until we care about native american history absolutely 100 mm -hmm. percent right there yep 
Um, and I actually have a story that I learned from an anthropology professor in college um, when we were talking about, you know, how, how you communicate with other communities, with other cultures. So um, this was a reservation out West, I believe Arizona or New Mexico. And these aid workers kept sending them powdered milk and they kept whitewashing their houses and their fences with it. And so the aid workers are like, God, what is wrong with you guys? You're supposed to drink it. And the natives were like, we're lactose intolerant, bitch. Right. (laughs) We can't drink it. Yeah. And so that's, you know, with all charity, ask them what they need. You know, ask them, you know, what would be the best way to help? Just don't come in, especially if you are, um, as TikTok has taught me, palm colored um <laughs> don't just be rushing in there like mighty whitey like you gonna fix no. something just listen to the people already on the ground mm-hmm. yeah um, um in in that same vein too i just cut you off you're fine Sorry. no 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 i'll i'll double back don't even worry about it okay well i was just gonna say in that same vein check with your local domestic violence shelter on what they need they probably have clothing mm-hmm. Because that's the easiest thing to do tonight. That's what people throw to them. I used to volunteer at a domestic violence shelter. Trust me. I know what people Tampons. Do. That's tampons. what they need. They mm-hmm. need pads Maxi pads. tampons, all that kind of stuff. Check and see. They may need items for boys or young men because mm-hmm. these women may have their sons with them. Yeah. You know, you may not automatically think to buy boys clothes or like clothes for a teenage boy but you you don't know mm-hmm. right. um so be sure to check african-american hair care products oh my gosh yes oh yes and then just toiletries in general you know your toothpaste your toothbrush and that kind of stuff i mean it's just so easy to throw your old clothes at people and right and, you know that's appreciated especially hey i will say this if you're plus sized yes yeah um, yes for sure and, yeah Underwear, all of those yeah. things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to um, my, I have a friend. I have several friends in Canada, weirdly. Um, several of them were my emotional support Canadians throughout <laughs> 2016 <laughs> to now. Um, and then God bless you because emotional yeah. support Canadians, you were, you came in clutch because we were, <laughs> we were real freaked out there for a little while. Um, but, uh, the name she goes by on the interwebs is Dottie. Um, I won't blow up her spot with her real name. Um, but when I knew I wanted to do the missing and murdered women and girls, I messaged her and was like, hey, I'm doing this topic. What should I absolutely not miss or not forget? And she gave me um, Helen Betty Osborne's story um, as that being kind of, you know, what really led a charge in Canada to be like, hey, this is fucked. Mm-hmm. So shout out to her. Again, you know, kind of like, you know, my example with the powdered milk and the whitewashing, listen to these communities yeah, and, you know, give them a voice whenever you can. Yep. Yeah. And if uh, this is definitely the time for all of us white women to shut up and yes, even though we've been talking, I know, I know, Um, but it's a time for us to shut up and either, um, listen to them or amplify them or something like be sure to to 
get their voices out there. We have to use the privilege that we have to support them. So yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, We stop recording. I have the cutest fucking thing ever to show you guys. Okay. Well, we're almost done recording. (laughs) Um, Our next episode will be coming out uh, the week of Halloween. Spooky season. Spooky. Our theme for that week is just general spookiness. I don't know what yep. you're going to get. I don't nope. know if you're going to get a murder. I don't know if you're going to get a ghost or it's going to be like trick or treating, but with three white ladies with opinions. <laughs> yes. Can that be the name of the episode? Trick or treating <laughs> with three white women's with opinions. Um, yes. That's basically what it's going to be. Um, so yeah, that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to and it uh, to doing that one. So uh, thank you for tuning in. Lori, where can they find us? We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod. Or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. Yes. And thank you to our producer, editor, Derek, who is going to yes. be editing this episode yes. while thank he is you, on Derek. vacation. Thank you, um, Derek. And also Revenge Body for our amazing yes, intro. Yes, I was about to music. say that. Let's 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 give a shout out to both of those guys. Um, tell, tell BAG we said hello. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, if you watched um, Dancing with the Stars this past Monday on Britney Week, you actually would have seen Derek. He was there supporting his BFF, Brian Austin Green. Um, they have a, pack, a podcast together called With Brian Austin Green. So... Um, so when you, you, you see you Derek, please say, oh, you, you're the producer of Cemetery Row. Yes. All of his other pool stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We don't know him from Shu or from Brian Austin Green. No, no, no. He's just the producer for Cemetery Row. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And, and again, um, big thanks again to Jacques, a.k.a. Revenge Body. Um, I will say this going into spooky season uh, because. Jacques has made me the biggest Dario Argento fan. He makes Italian horror movies. He directed Mm -hmm. Suspiria, the original, and a bunch of other ones that are amazing. Um, So go check out some awesome Italian horror movies, y'all. They're on um, the streaming platforms. And I don't know. Go watch something spooky, y'all. Watch something spooky. I just watched No One Gets Out Alive on Netflix tonight before we recorded. I'm going to watch that. Whoever created this movie got his life wrecked by some Mexican girl's vagina. And you know what? He has clearly never been the same. And <laughs> it is reflected in the movie. So sounds good um, to me. He some little Latina girl put the wop on him and and oh my god, who's doing something? Who is always doing something? (laughs) Well, I saw um, always. I saw Gwenny behind you earlier. Yes, the the Googmeister has been. um, She's on my pillow currently. So yeah. Um, but no, the really cute thing I was going to show you is that Tabby was posed very cutely on my sweater, and then she moved. So now we're we're back (laughs) to oh. Well, and so I'm going to shout out my favorite scary movie. Um, It's more of a comedy horror. It's uh, the best werewolf movie I've ever seen in my entire life. It's called (laughs) Big Bad Wolf. Um, (laughs) It came out when we were in college. So I don't know if you'll find it anywhere. It stars the guy that played the villain in uh, Kindergarten Cop. 
and uh, Kimberly J. Brown from Halloween Town, and uh, Chloe Grace Moretz's brother. Oh, it is a classic. It's hilarious, uh, very bloody, and um, it's one of my favorite scary movies. So if you can find it, watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had a marathon today. I watched what was the first? Oh, I finished Malignant. Then I watched um what did I watch what did I watch this is why I have ADHD I ended it with Suspiria (laughs) but what did I watch in between that y'all this is scary all right well yeah I I don't know it's a damn mystery we'll post it on the socials when she remembers (laughs) this is so stupid geez we're gonna make Derek cut that out no we're not he's on vacation okay don't cut it out okay Bye, y'all. We'll see y'all when it's spooky. Bye. (laughs) Bye.